After a short two-week hiatus, the Rugby Paper Podcast is back and the dust has now firmly settled on Rugby World Cup 2023. With that in mind, I thought it might be fun if the columnists and I got together to cast our eye heads how England will shape up in 2027. And so, tune in to hear the Rugby Paper Podcast England 15 to win the World Cup in four years' time. Before we kick off this episode of the pod, Christmas is coming up, everyone. For any rugby super fan out there, give them the ultimate Christmas present by gifting them an official hospitality experience at Twickenham with Keith Prowse, principal sales partner to England Rugby Hospitality. They've got a place at the stadium called The Gate, and it is incredible. It's a chop house style restaurant serving some incredible steaks and an all-inclusive bar. But that's not even the best thing, as the premium seats it offers are right on the touchline between the 22s in the East Stand, which in my opinion are the best seats in the stadium. It's an incredible experience and they now only have packages left for the England-Wales match for next year's Guinness Six Nations. So I suggest you get in touch with our friends at Keith Prowse by visiting their website, keithprowse.co.uk forward slash the rugby paper. Now that I've started the recording, we were just speaking on air. We've got an England 15 plan for today. I was just saying, actually, this is the first time where we've done this so far forward that I'm going to ask people who they think the head coach is is so our columnists haven't been prepped for that um putting you all on the spot a little bit whether they give borthwick the green light for another four years or we move on i think they already have well they have whether we do all oh, right well but I'll, I'll, well obviously our say is more important than theirs right yeah 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 <laughs> people have to have at least one shocking season when they come fifth and maybe two to not yeah. make it through to the world cup i think his contract is pretty Science still delivered to take him up there. And it's just the nature of the way things are with the RFU that uh, if they muddle along in second and third, I think he'll get all the way through to 2027. Yeah, yeah I don't disagree with that. But we say we think he'll make, he'll make it through to 2027. Does anyone have a, a left field pick for the head coach? And I'm sort of just not even bothering in it with an intro. We'll come back to that. Well, I think it's impossible to say on this kind of thing because it's it's interconnected, really, with what happens at the RFU. If the if the RFU sort of implodes at the top end and you start losing chairman and chief executives, right, left, and centre, and you're in a period of turmoil, it is not unheard of for new regimes to come in and want to make their mark by doing very visible things and creating sites in their own image. So, in in a sense, in a sense, I think Steve. I would say that he's almost he's a he's a good sort of seventy five percent certain to get through to the next World Cup. He was handed the last World Cup at very short notice, um, and and got to a semi final and, and finished third by hook or by crook. Um, but of course, they gave the two thousand and seven World Cup to Brian Ashton at very short notice, and he got to the final, uh, could have won it, and was out of a job within. <laughs> Within about six months. So it's very... The, the Rugby Football Union moves in its mysterious ways, its wonders to perform. I think that's quite a conventional offering from the Rugby Paper Podcast on the head coach front. I'm sure that won't be the case for the full 15. I mean, Clive Woodward... You're calling us boring? No, I'm not, actually. Um, I'm. This is almost bucking the trend. It's quite entertaining for me because it's actually so normal. Uh, you're, you're, well, you're saying that we're not usually entertaining. The normal Hewitt. Yeah, yes, yes, Joey, I am saying that, to be honest. This is, yeah, well, yeah, okay. Well, it, thank God, thank cool God I'm being paid so much, because if well, I look, wasn't, I look, wouldn't turn up next week. I mean, somebody who could, um, you know, who's who's done um, everything that there is to do, admittedly as assistant coach with Saracens, 
who could come into the reckoning is Alex Sanderson. But much will depend on what happens with Sale. You know, I mean, they uh, obviously were beaten finalists last time around. If they really, you know, come come like a steam train and uh, and, and challenge what looks like a continuation of the Saracens' uh, uh, hegemony, then, um, you know, he could definitely come into the reckoning if Borthwick, um, you know, if Borthwick has a fall. Yeah. Um, if Borthwick has a fall, I'd go cap in hand to Mark McCall first. Alex Sanders and everything he knows. I mean, we've we but we've been down this track already. He doesn't want to do it. McCall and uh and Baxter, who've both had you know significant overtures, have said that they're not interested. Yeah, that's the problem. You know, I mean I'd I'd sort of, you know, unless they 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 go on the stump and say, Yeah, I'm interested, I'm up for it, I forget them. Well, I, I think if they went to Mark McCall, who whose loathing of the public-facing role in rugby makes Steve Borthwick look like um, Eddie Izzard, yeah, um, I think uh, it's. Eddie I think you're absolutely right about Mark and and, and Rob. Um, I, I get the sense that if they were ever going to be uh, close to the job, um, uh, it's in the past kind of thing. I, I, I think I think it's. Um, maybe a bit of a stretch to imagine them reconsidering their reluctance to take on the job. The obvious thing will be if somebody at the the RFU thinks it's going to be the brightest idea ever to go cap in hand, as you say, and then go to Andy Farrell. Um, He he seems to me to be the obvious favourite over the next four years. What if he's not signed up? If he's not signed up by Ireland for that period. Well, if he's signed up by Ireland, then they're going to have to pay all that money that they haven't got to buy him out of his contract. Do you think that he jumped from Ireland to England at this juncture? Um, (laughs) Not sure what they do. It wouldn't wouldn't amaze me. I mean, to be honest, he's got the best Irish side. He's had the best Irish side, partly through his own creation. We have to be fair to the bloke. Um, but he's been operating with the best Irish side we've seen possibly ever. And they were genuine contenders for the world title for the first time ever. And he's going to have to be rebuilt. He's going to set about rebuilding. I mean, they've lost Sexton, they've lost Omani, a couple of others are sort of on the on the tipping point. Um, so it's going to be a slow process. Uh, for Andy, there's no guarantee that he's going to get Ireland up to a similar kind of state in four years' time where they're genuine contenders, although they'll be good. Um, and if you weigh all that up and he looks across and he is an Englishman when all said and done, and that may well mean a hell of a lot to him. And a bit of unfinished business. I mean, Indeed. his England career was brief and not particularly distinguished, mainly through injury, although he was a member of that 2007 squad. He's got unfinished business from 2015 when he was part of a mm. management failure. You know, the guy's a proud bloke, isn't he? And yeah. an Englishman, he might be, that it burns a bit with him yeah. that he wants to come back and, and, and write all that. And he'd be in pole position to recall Sam Burgess. Well, let's not go down that avenue again. But um... <laughs> As a player or as a coach, Chris? Both. <laughs> <laughs> He's omnipotent. Both, I, I'm, I, I, I doff my cap. Well, I'm, I'm, I reckon there's seven. Yeah, we said seventy-five percent chance of Borthwick staying on. I reckon there's a seventy-five percent chance that Chris Hewitt has picked Sam Burgess as captain for twenty twenty-seven. Um, let's jump into it. So, 
Yeah. Borthwick may well be head coach. Presuming that he is, we've all got a 15 more or less lined up. None of us know what anyone else has picked. We haven't spoken about this whatsoever. Four years is a long time. So I suspect it'll be rangy and all over the place, but that's what I'm kind of hoping for because I've seen a few of these um, doing the rounds and most of them, bar Clive Woodward, who I think picked Rassi Erasmus as his head coach are quite conventional. So we're hoping for unconventional in true rugby paper podcast style. Well, his team isn't particularly unconventional. No, it's it? not. It's, yeah, his team was actually quite conventional. So let's 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 succeed where Clive failed and be as out there and contentious as possible. Nick Kane, who is your loose head prop? Uh Tom West. Okay. Tom West and who actually I'm not going to ask who's coming off the bench. Justify Tom West for me. Don't really have to. Um, he's uh, <laughs> he was he was, a, he, was, he, was he was coming through at a rate of knots at um, at wasps before they went bust. Um, he's been club hopping since. You know, he's gone to Leicester. He's a very very uh, solid loose head, which I'm afraid at international level I don't believe Ellis Genge is. And he is also a good footballer. He's mobile too. So I um I would, you know, I I I think a lot of him. Um I'd look at Bevan Rod as well, but he has to improve significantly. He's made improvements as a scrummager, but he has to go to the next level to be an international uh, test prop. Um Genge is not a busted flush, but he needs to improve his scrummaging significantly as well. We know what he can do around the field. But, you know, if you look at what's happened at Bristol since he's gone there, and I'm not saying that, you know, one man makes a team because he definitely doesn't. But if you look at, you know, for example, their front row uh, contribution at Bristol, they, you, you know, I mean, if you look at the win-loss ledger when Sinclair and Genge have been playing, it's not very healthy at all. Um, and it says something about their overall form. They seem to have come back with the bit between their teeth a bit, um, you know, judged on how they went against Bath. But, you know, it's about consistency and it's about wanting to be a scrummager. And um, I, you know, I think that that is an area which English rugby has to address overall because there are too many guys who've been parachuted in from other positions on the field whose first uh, inclination and love is not scrummaging. And that's got to change. Finish us off then. Go through the rest of your front row. I, I'm I'm still giggling it. Don't really have to. <laughs> that's all right. Don't worry. As Clive Woodward said, only one man can pick a side. And that <laughs> man is Nick Kane. And also, there's no wrong selection. Uh, listen, I'll tell you what. No I, wrong I'll, selection. I'll certainly back my selections on that. That's for sure. Um, Theo Dan, rugby head coach, just turns around. Yeah, and goes, I don't yeah. Have my selection. Thanks very much, Theo Dan. No media whatsoever. Theo Dan. Theo Dan, I think is is sort of proved over the course of the World Cup um, that he has definitely got the ability to um, to you know to be a test hooker. Um, his, his throwing in probably needs to become as fail-safe as uh, as Jamie George's, which will be some job. Um, but around the field, he looks um, he looks pretty dynamic. 
and uh, he's going to take a, a bit of shifting, I, I, I would say. But I, I, I've always liked Blamire at Newcastle. Um, he's playing in an unsung un, unsung club, um, but I like him as a player. He's mobile. He's 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 quite big, and he's um, he's a solid scrummager. So I I would go there, and the guy who uh, the tight head thing is very difficult because um, I don't think that either Kyle Sinclair or Will Stewart have got with the wherewithal um, to be starting loose heads for England, uh, tight heads for England. Um, uh, Sinclair is going to be getting on by the uh, by the 2027 World Cup. Yeah, and he might he'll be, be in France still. He'll be 34. Yeah, he'll be 34. Um, so, uh, and Stuart, I just don't think has uh, has trained on. You know, if you look at Bath, their best combination uh, clearly at the beginning of the season is Thomas Dutoy at tight head and Obano at loose head. Um, and Will Stewart, I would say, is definitely second in the pecking order if they had to play a Premiership final tomorrow or or whatever. Um, so, I, I but the bloke who has um, who sort of changed out of all uh, dimension at the start of this season, and it's all about consistency, is um, is Aaron Painter, who's gone. To, um, from Northampton to Exeter and suddenly looks transformed. And Baxter has apparently, you know, backed him and said, I want you to be a scrummaging tight head. I don't care all that much about all the singing and dancing. You do your job at the scrum. And so far this season, he's done his job at the scrum. He looks, he looks formidable because he's a very big man. Uh, he carries a fair bit of weight, which, according to Nick Easter, is not a bad thing for props. We don't want to, you know, they need to be fit, but we don't need caliber tests on bloody body fat, et cetera, et cetera, because the best of them are big men. And the bloke who could be a wild card is actually Dutoy. Um, you know, given the bloody illogical um, uh, international eg- eligibility rules, with Jean Klein managing to go from South Africa to Ireland to South Africa in the space of about a year. Um, you know, Dutoy, if he decides and he he sticks three years, Bath renew his contract or whatever, Dutoy could be an answer for England. I don't like it, but I'm sure he'd be pretty effective. Um, so there, there's one other guy who, who needs to be considered. England are actually not short of potential, thank heavens, uh, coming through. There's a guy uh, who was in the England under-20 side yeah. who's a giant. Bang um, on. Bang on. Falabi Fasco, who is, uh, you know, he's obviously still very young. I think he may be eligible for the under-20s again. I'm he's not 19 sure. now. He's 19 now. So... If, but if you look at him, you know, you're talking about a, a, a lad who's six four and he's already 20, 20 and a half stone. Um, but he's he's good mobile, twenty you, you know, twenty and a half stone, judging from what we saw in the uh under twenties last um last season. So in the junior world championship. So, you know, and there's another guy at Leicester who's third in the pecking order at the moment, Will Hoyt, who's playing for Nottingham, who is 
another lad who, who, you know, I mean, I haven't seen much of him because he hasn't had much uh, uh, time at Leicester, but he's well rated and I'd like to uh, to see how he comes on as well. So um, there, there are a lot. Joe Hayes, you know, uh, has, uh, you know, has a lot to do to get um, into, for me, into England contention. He's already in contention in Borthwick's view. So um, there we go. You know, I, I, I think that there's a fair amount there for a good scrum coach to work with. So who are you picking? I'm, I'm picking, I've, I've already said painter. Oh, sorry, you are picking painter. Okay, yeah. sorry, I'll just check. For the moment, you know, but I mean, four years is a hell of a long time. I know, I know, but just to just to be able to put some sort of a fifteen together. Um, yeah. So, Nick, your front row is painter, Theodan, Tom West, Brendan. Where do you differentiate? I think uh, Gange will have a revival. He has, he's had a, a dip since he went to Bristol. But I'm thinking of the games you played in that last year at Leicester under Borthwick, and that will be the games that Borthwick wants to get back. I think he will get back. I think Theo Dan is almost, barring injury, a certainty. Jamie George will be 37. He could just about hang on, but I don't think he will. Um, I absolutely agree on the tight head, Afo Fazogban. That England under-20 pack this summer was pretty good. I mean, they went toe-to-toe with France for... 55 minutes before the French backs went mad. There's two or three really good forwards that I'm going to give a mention um, from that pack. I think he will go all the way through and he'll be the starter. He's a major specimen. And even the French, you know, with Toulangis in their pack in that under-20 team, will we'll find it hard going against him. Um, one other little name who might come into contention, another one of those under-20 guys. They had a, a really decent young hooker from Queens. I'm just Nathan Tibulu. Uh, absolute dynamo, a bit of a Theo Dan, really. Um, so he's not Theo Dan yet, but he's a good player. I don't know when he's going to start getting first 15 rugby, but if you want an outlier, he'd be my outlier. Excellent, good stuff, Chewy. Coming on, coming on that, it looks like we're swaying towards Theo Dan at starting hooker. Um, I had Alice Gange at my uh, as my prop as well because I think, like Brendan, he will have a little bit of a resurgence and also after that semi-final against South Africa, work on his scrumming, uh, scrummaging. Chris, come in on tight head particularly because I think we've got two for Genge and two for Dan. Um, well, if it's a strictly come dancing thing, I'm the last, so I probably have a casting vote here, don't I? Um, yeah, of course, yeah. Um, but it's not a programme. Early balance, which, there he is. What, it's not a programme. <laughs> which I'm very well acquainted, although I do look good in sequins, as Nick Kane will confirm. But that's a no, story, I won't. that's a story for another day. Um, I, I think I look at this stage. You have to say that Theo Dan is as close to nailed on as you can imagine. I mean, he's he's in a sense the new Jamie George. Um, um, he's explosive around the field. He's been tested in. A fair bit of fire already, and he's come through. He's 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 got into the England World Cup squad in a real rush. Um, he made himself second choice. He hasn't let anyone down. Quite the opposite, actually. I think he's a genuine, modern, dynamic hooker who's who's got a hell of a lot in front of him. Pray God, injuries willing, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Lou said I go Bevan Rod because he's he's just turned twenty three. Uh, there's a lot of development still to be done, but he's in a sort of forward hothouse at sale. 
where there's quite a bit of onus on the uh, on let's say a rugged, rugged route one muscular style of forward intimidatory play. That's what they base their game around. Uh, he's the number one there. Yes, I take it. I, I absolutely take it on the chin that he's got skirmishing improvements to make, but he does seem to be a genuinely committed and all virtually all professional sportsmen are committed, but there's levels of commitment and Rod's ambition seems to be off the scale. I mean, he does seem to be prepared to make whatever sacrifices he's asked to make to, to become a test class loose head prop. He's very good around the field. Um, he's, doesn't take too many prisoners um, around the edges and up the guts and all that kind of stuff. I like him. I think he's very good. I think he'll thrive in the sale environment and he would be my favourite to be loose head next time around. And I agree with the guys on Afalabi Fasagbon, who is, um, now he really is a bells and whistles bloke. You can't, I mean, and when we're talking bells, we're talking about the big ones in the church tower. We're not talking about little hand ringing things. I mean, I did see somewhere that he's 132 kgs. Now, this is the kind of thing, if that's true, that's the kind of thing that makes most people on the inside of the, of of the England, um, of the England setup, absolutely sit up and take notes because size is everything to some of these blokes. Conor O'Shea, I can tell you, thinks he's absolutely the bee's knees. And you can say, well, what does a former Irish fullback know about tight head props? But hey, he's a Not bloke. Much. He's a bloke who's running this stuff, and um, and he the wind is definitely in his very large sails. Uh, the question with him will be, how much game time does he get over the next couple of years, where he can lay the foundations. To really yeah. do it, to then do a Theo Dan and go onwards and upwards in a relatively short space of time. I mean, he's a kid. He is a kid. Uh, yeah. But I would hope that in four years, if there was going to be a complete bolter, a complete bolter, I think it might be him. That's down to his club coaches. And it's that, it's down in the people at Gloucester, um, where I think he is at the moment, or they've yeah, yeah. already yeah. had a slightly checkered banks around kind of club attachment, um, <laughs> club attachments. But, um, if they give him a run and he comes through it, then I think he, he he's he's unusual. Even in a game of big men, he is pretty unusual. And I'm all in favour of the big tight head prop. I'm I'm not a sizeist, as you know, but tight head props tend to be, uh, you know, the bigger the better as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I mean, if you talk about, um, just talk about o- O'Shea's um, knowledge of, of props and so on. O'Shea's the bloke who has had, uh, charge of the England uh, pathway for the last four years and since 2019 managed to do absolutely nothing to bring anybody through of any worth. So that that tells you something about his credentials when it comes to bringing forwards through. Tell us what you really think, Nick. Um... No, why, why, why pull punches? You know, I mean, this guy is, um, you know, he's in a position... And uh, that position, if you look at what happened to England in the 2019 World Cup, and then again in the uh, in the, in the 2023 World Cup, tell me where the improvement was. I, th- I think it's certainly the case that in certain positions, and you can probably argue that tight head is one, and you could argue about the scrum half position as well. Um, as well as not not to mention some stuff going on in the centre. Um, we're, talk- we're talking over the last couple of World Cup cycles. The failure to bring on 
uh, obvious test candidates. I mean, really, He's you know, sure. casting steel test candidates in very important positions has been an astonishing failure. Absolutely astonishing. I mean, I mean, it, it does beg a belief, doesn't it, that um, uh, a union the size of England, with the playing resources it has, with the financial resources it has, and the structural, uh, the, the 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 structures under which it operates, and a lot of us could not think of a tight head or a scrum. I mean, so many positions were up for grabs come the World Cup, come to start the World Cup, or to certainly come to start the Six Nations when Borthwick took over. It's just bizarre. Mm. Absolutely bizarre. Yeah, That's where I think the last 20 minutes against South Africa will hopefully be the necessary wake-up call. Um, because, well, it just needs to be. And also, let's not forget Ox and Che, as terrifying as that will be, he'll be in his prime in four years' time. Yeah. But um, how could it not be a wake up call in 2019? I'm sorry, you know, I mean, crikey. No, that's true. That's a fair point. No, I look, I agree. Either way, I think we've got our front row. We've got Genge, Dan, and Fasselbon as already a, a slightly left field bolter. Brendan, I'm going to let you take the lead with the second row. Okay. I mean, what I was talking about the second row, uh, I'm almost sort of picking the back five. England need a massive, mean, nasty pack again. No team's ever going to beat South Africa unless you've got. Actually, unless you've got probably 14 or 15 beasts, really. So I'm going to have a huge back five. So let's put, just do the the second row is quite simple. I think Itoji will continue. Um, and I think Ollie Chesson will get better and better. So I, I've got almost no no quandaries, no questions at all. They will be the second rows. Have, has anyone else, has anyone not got that? Because I've got exactly that. I'm, I'm 75% there. Um, uh, I've got Maro, Itoji and, and a Chesson. I'm having the other Chesham in the back row. I'm I, th I think Lewis Chesham, Lewis Chesham is a couple of inches taller, actually, than, and quicker than, than his elder brother, and and he he has got more obviously um, a mean streak. It might yeah. be, but listen, it, it might be um, it it might be the kind of mean, mean streak you, you you have at play school, you know, where he's <laughs> where, where as soon as you come up against some real ground, and we'll find out if he's got a mean streak if he runs into Ebenezer that's anytime soon. Yeah, but yeah. It, it's but I th I thought his leadership in the under twenties, a, a I thought he played particularly well actually, a, and it was a real captain's knock he played for that side, but also he he was a bit Johnson esque in the way that. Um, unless there were several fights going on at the same time and he didn't know which one to run to, which famously happened to Martin on that Lions tour in Australia in 2001. I think it was in Sydney, Sydney or Brisbane, one of those games where there was so much going on, he didn't get to any of them because his head was on a swivel. Um, but Chesham was the was the first out of the trap. I'm not, I'm not saying this is a sign of a great player or anything like that, but his... His urge to be involved, his urge to stamp some kind of authority on things, not least when they were going wrong, it bordered on the petulant at times. But he's a he's a, again he's a very young man. I mean, I all think, of that I, is why I'm switching him to number eight, Chris. And also, he's a bit more mobile. He's uh, very a bit quicker. He, I, I think want he's a very good player. number eight going forward. In England have lacked that big, big. He's a line out forward as well, obviously. So he gives you a line out in the back row. And he's a bit of a beast. So I'm going to ask him to switch to number eight. I want to see that happen quickly. Uh, that, that's an interesting one. We we all want a big number eight, but one one of six foot seven or eight with those sorts of levers. He's a good athlete. We get himself in a tangle. That is very left field. Um, before we get has it, well, 
Is anyone objecting to a second row of Mao Itoji and Oli Chesham? Yeah, look, I, I mean, there's one obvious thing to say about Itoji on on um, on ability, uh, no, but you know his future is very much undecided. He could, you know, there's a very good chance he could go to France, and if he does, he's going to be out of the loop. Yeah. Unless it comes back, I think, for, I think for the purposes of the next four years, we've got to presume that everyone will make themselves available. Okay, well then, I I wouldn't um, I I wouldn't object to that. I I I'm not convinced that uh, George Martin's best position is going to be six. So um, you know, I I sort of see that there is the the good thing is is that there's real competition there with Chesham's brother, um, with Ezekwe who I think is, you know, he's still a young guy. You know, he, he'll he be 29 by uh, by by the World Cup. And I thought that before he got injured again at the end of last season, I couldn't really understand why he wasn't in the England squad to go to the World Cup. Um, and, um, you know, w- with Martin also in the mix, you've got four, you know, you've got four locks. Maybe one of them is a, is is more of a natural blind side than, than, than the others. I'd say that Oli... Ollie Chesson might be that man. Um, so, and, you know, are we talking back row yet? We're not really. So yeah, that, well, let's that, that's it. what I'd say. Competition mm-hmm. at lock. It's such an important position in the modern game. Just on the Atoje point, just on the Atoje point and, and, and the fact that he might go to France, I think things are going to change. Uh, the whole the whole drift of professional sport is 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 the lack of control of players. We just heard Ronnie O'Sullivan on the radio saying, I, w- I want to spend more time in China because that's where the money is. And if you don't want me to play in your tournaments um, in, in the World Championship or whatever it is, well, there we go. You know, I've done quite a bit and uh, I've done quite a bit in the game. This is where you know, I want to do this for me, blah, 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 blah. And we're seeing it in cricket with the IPL. We're seeing it all over the place. The All Blacks are shoveling people off to Japan like there's no tomorrow. Um um, Australia and South Africa, you've got loads of people playing offshore. Um, I, I don't think that the you have to be playing in England to qualify for the England team is going to hold for, for the next four years. I think, it, I think that's, on, that's on the wrong side of history. And there is no chance on God's earth that if Maru Itoje decides to do something for him and ends up playing for Racing or Stade Francais or whoever it is over there, when we and and he's still playing there in 2027, that a coach is not going to make the Lancaster exception of we kind of need this bloke. Yeah, you know? as long as the Premiership um, is calling the tune and the RFU has a chief executive who is enthralled to them, there is going to be no um, uh, exemption on on the England uh, position. Well, we 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 made them plenty of times in the past. Well, I, listen, Chris. I, I agree with you, and Everyone I and, 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 I, don't, on this and I don't Bush like I, I don't like the RFU's position on it. I think that it's wrong. I don't think that the top fourteen can absorb half the England team in any case. Well, it might be able to absorb about half of it, but certainly, you know, the the the, the marquee player thing in France because of the GIF mm-hmm. uh, uh, legislation that there is, or the rulings that there is, just mean that they haven't got that many openings for uh, overseas players and English players. They're in a market with Welsh, 
you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. New Zealanders, South Africans, so on. But so they'll find one for Itoje. They'll find but, a hole for Itoje. Yeah, for sure they will. But what I'm saying is, is that the in the RFU is not going to be confronted with losing an entire England squad. Oh no, that's to true. The top no, 14 I, in France, it's no, bullshit. I think I, I think that's right. I was, I was just talking specifically, really, about yeah. Itoje and players of his of his level. Yeah. Um, it, you know, if, if if they want to go, I mean, they call the shots. Man. These folks call the shots because there's there's no England coach, whether it's it's Steve Borthwick or or Andy Fowle or whoever. There's no England coach on the face of it, and he might his form may go off a cliff, or there might be injuries. But on the face of it, the way he's playing now, which I think is better than he was playing six to nine months ago, I don't think there's any chance that an England coach would want to go into a World Cup without the bloke. No chance at all. On that basis, we're putting a Toje in. Um, yeah, I think Chesson will be five. I want to throw in that Mario Toje is also my captain for 2027. Um, we've been sort of bidding him as a captain for quite some time. If any of you have captains written down that have already been said, please say. If not, just say as you introduce the player. Um, by your silence, I'm guessing none of you have a Toje as your captain. That's obviously fine. We'll get to who you guys have picked later. Well, I'm you had my captain, but Listen. because I'm not going with Farrell. He probably would be the captain. Yeah, I mean, I've I've advocated for Itoji for some time, <laughs> but I do feel that the boat leaves the harbour sometimes. You know, I mean, we'll we'll see. You know, he's backed Farrell all the way. Uh, maybe he'll, you know, he'll put his own credentials up now. I don't know. Let's say let's say also, also with Itoji as captain. I mean, and this I don't know, but um, I'm not. I've no reason to believe that this is the case. But if it is the case that there are there are people whose whose relationship with their team teammates is is easier or more productive, more constructive, blah 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 than Itoje's. And and you you sometimes get it when when people hit that sort of superstar status thing. He may be the best team man on earth. I'm, I'm this is pure surmise. If it turns out that he's not, then he wouldn't be a great choice as captain. Clearly. And, and everything you hear about Farrell, whatever you think about whether he whether he should be ten or twelve or in the team at all, no one has ever questioned no one has ever questioned his sort of leadership skills within the group. Not the way he presents everything outside of the group, but they all really look up to him almost in the way that people looked up to Johnson. And it's uh, I, I think it's it's an interesting one with Itoje. If he is as good in the group as he is on the field, then I see no reason why he shouldn't be captain. But if he isn't, you'd have to look again. So he's a candidate. We'll, I guess, have that debate once we get to fly half and see whether anyone's picked Farrell to go through to 27. Um, Brendan, you've got Lewis Chesham at eight. Lewis Chesham at eight. So this is big, mean and nasty. Tom Pearce at six. Uh, George Martin is an option. But I agree with Nick. George Martin, I think, might be a better second row. And the competition for place at second row is important. So, But I want a, a really tough ball carrier. Um, my backup number eight would be Chandler Cunningham himself, who's got something about him, got real athleticism, uh, also a line-up man if needed. Open side, well, you've just got to get somebody who's fit. Curry's now on on long-term uh, injury. Burnell's off. Jack Willis, I think, is playing, but is normally injured. Um, Underhill's coming back from six months out. It'd be one of those four, but who's fit in four years' time? Who's even playing in four years' time? I've got no idea. I'm going to go with Curry, but we've said it many times in the last year. He's been slowing up. 
And perhaps this hip problem that we've now been told about has been niggling away, reading between the lines a bit longer than we think, um, and needed attention a bit quicker. Uh, but I, yeah, so I, yeah. so I I'd have Tom Pearson, Curry, and Chesham at eight. Chandler Cunningham South would be the bolter because he can also play probably six, I suspect. Um, and he's one worth watching, I think, when he gets going. I think that Curry announcement is a is a massive concern, to be honest, because mm. I think you're right. I think it has probably been bubbling a little bit and he has just become a little bit more, more injury prone. So that is And slower. He's not as agile and quick in when he first came in, uh, he was a he was a jackal. Six years ago, he was a jackal. Yeah, well, exactly. Brilliant. Um, and he's lost that altogether. Yeah. Um, right. So your back row, Pearson, you've gone with Curry for the moment. For the moment, yeah. So let's say that for simplicity. Pearson, Curry, Chesham. Uh, Chewy, how do you differentiate? Well, I've got Mercer at eight. Um, I, another injured player. Well, well another, another <laughs> injured. Even back yeah. rows are like whales these days. You, 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 have, you have to be well injured at this point not to be available for twenty twenty seven. Um, but it's um, but I, I take I take your point there. I mean, there is massive concern over Curry, and I want I want Curry in my side somewhere. I'm yeah. serious. Um, uh, however. I do believe that um, he slowed up a little bit. And I do believe that Ben Earl is the kind of wide-ranging, genuine, genuine loose forward, if you like, the, 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 the grand cover in support playing footballing number seven that England could well do with. I mean, I think he's a difference maker. And I think seven gives him a, more of a chance to make the last two or three percent of difference than he does at number eight, even though he, he he went very, very well there during the World Cup. I mean, I thought he was absolutely terrific. And uh so he's in my side. He's 25 at the moment. So he'll be in a, he'll be in his prime in, in 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 four years' time. So I've got him and Mercer at seven and eight. Six is an interesting one. I mean I think one of the Chessons could do that job. Uh I I take Brendan's argument on that. I think I've yet to like Nick, I'm not quite convinced that George Martin's got everything you want in a six, and I've never seen him play that. But he certainly made big strides during the World Cup, and so who knows? I think Tom Curry, if he ever gets back to fitness, and he is, he has lost that yard of pace, can play six. He's not the tallest, as we know. There's all sorts of line-out, you know, sort of ramifications to this kind of thing. But if you've got Itoje and 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 Mercer and one of the two very tall Chessons hanging around, then you're not obviously short of line-out options. So Earl for sure, Mercer for sure, uh, six is up in the air. What I would say, back the open side position, where, I mean, Underhill is playing really well again. Yeah, he is. Really well. And he's a very intelligent player. And I he's going to be just turned 30, I think, 31 maybe, in 2027, so he's he's not past it. He's just missed so much rugby, but you just don't know how long he's going to last without another smack on the bounce. And and you know he's he's been on thin ice inj injury wise, but he's a very very good player. However, he doesn't have the range that Earl has in terms of football and ability and all what Nick would call the bells and whistles. Um, and Earl is a very good jackler as well. So when you compare the two, I don't actually see that there's a vast debate to be had. I think Earl brings a hell of a lot more. Um, I'm just, I think I'll be interested to see how Tom Pearson develops because he's he's very highly thought of by by really good judges. So there's got to, there's got to be something there. Um, it's a bit of a shame that 
that bloke Aaron Hinckley seems to have fallen completely off the radar because he was a there was a real buzz around him both when he was at Gloucester, not so much when he was at Exeter. I think he was injured quite a lot down there, but at Northampton last season, and now he's been kicked off their books for whatever reason. So, but you look on the Northampton supporters' websites and things like that, which I do when I'm trying to get to sleep, and um, and they're very, you know, they were very very keen on Hinkley's contribution. So something's gone on there. And they've got another kid, haven't they? Henry Pollock, I think his name is, who came on at the weekend and looked like Grease Lightning, but he's about seven years old. So I don't think, I don't think he'll be, um, I don't think he'll, he's a natural candidate um, uh, for during this World Cup cycle. So that's me, Earl Seven, Mercer Eight, and somebody at six. I'd like Curry if he's fully fit. If not, pick a taller bloke. So I think, and Kano, we're going to give you the deciding vote on six and eight. I've got Ben Earl at seven. So based on the fact that Brendan was a little bit toing and froing between Curry and Earl, I think Earl's are seven, regardless of what you have to say, Nick. But- well, I think I think that given, uh, I mean, given the difficulties that Curry had during the World Cup, getting you know sent off and rest, you know, voluntary rest for two two games, um, I think he had a a very good World Cup in many ways. He's a really gritty, gritty seven. Um, And they count for a hell of a lot, but he's not operating. And I don't think he's been operating at full, uh, at full tilt. Ben also had a fantastic World Cup. And I think he's an, uh, for me, he's a seven. And, um, uh, and a very, very good one too. He's probably not as good over the ball quite as, uh, as, as Curry, but he's a he's a very very good attacking seven. He's a he, he potentially a great attacking seven. Um, I think that at blindside they've got they've got options as you say. One of the Chessums, um, I don't know about Ezekwe, uh, but two. You know, I agree about um, uh, Cunningham South. I think that he, judging from what we saw in the under twenties, he's a force already. And um, you know, if he comes on at Quinn, Quinn's, uh, he he could very very well be the man who fills that, you know, big athletic carrier at uh, and line out option at six. Somebody else who who might come on a storm as well, being at Saracens is Tom Willis. Now he could come in to the reckoning at either six or eight. He's a he's a bit bigger than Jack. And um, so I wouldn't count him out of it, but I'd go for I'd go for Cunningham South at the moment um, at six. I'd go for Earl at seven. And I do think that you need to have a footballer at eight. Now, Barbary's um, gone to Bath and is sort of playing on one leg, it seems, half the time um, at Bath. Um, I still think that probably, you know, England always, their ability to transition players into their best positions and persuade them of of that is is lamentable. I think Barbieri is the Malcolm Marks of bloody potentially. Get him back to hooker. Get him back to hooker. Uh, (laughs) You know, if he can learn to throw in, he's played there for England at under-20 level. And I just, uh, I, I don't think that he's got, at the moment, if he wants to play eight, he's got to get another another level of fitness to play it. You know, 
I, I'm not saying that he can't, but he needs to find, you know, that that much more mobility to go with his obvious power and uh, just phenomenal gain line ability. But, um, you know, I, I'd say that that footballer at the moment is Mercer, but we haven't seen much of him this season because he's injured. So, um, you, you know... And it seems Borthwick doesn't like him. Because and Borthwick, had the option to pick Borthwick him and he yeah. seems to have had a difference well, of opinion. God, God, um, knows, God knows what went on there, but it's... Uh, it, it, he's just got such a range to his game. Yeah. And, and, I mean, and n- number, number eight of all positions on the field or, or of all positions in a pack, you can argue about seven as well. Having, having, you what you want players of great range. I mean, the very, very best players. I think. Well, you know, I mean, I mean ben, ben Earl strikes me, and I don't say this lightly. And he ain't as good. <laughs> In fact, he's some way short of being as good. But he's he brings. He has the capacity to bring to a side the kind of thing that Michael Jones did, because he's so good in open field. He is, he is, and he plays a long way away from everyone else. You see him thirty yards away from the nearest rival, from nearest rival forward. He plays in a different part of the pitch. I mean, uh, England, fantastic. If you talk about adaptability and players with that range, you know, we haven't talked about Jack Willis. Now, Jack Willis has got a two-year, or I don't know how long his contract with Toulouse is, but he could come back a year before the uh, yeah. the, the World Cup. You know, if England still stick with the eligibility criteria. Um, he seems to be injury prone at the moment, but at his best, he's a phenomenal, uh, uh, you know, player. Um, you know, you we've we've got Tom Pearson. Somebody we haven't mentioned is the bloke Jack Kenningham at um, at Harlequins, who's also you know got real real ability. You know, so there are a lot of of of, of back row options. There are a lot yeah. of back row options. It's about England getting the right blend. Because back rows are all about the blend in the end. You know, the best back rows are about great blends. Isn't it, isn't it amazing? You, I mean, you've got Eddie Jones who didn't rate back, who didn't rate Ben Earl for whatever reason. Oh, no. Just bombed him out. You have yeah. Borthwick, didn't rate Zach Mercer. And and uh, or I'm not saying he doesn't rate him, but didn't think he fitted and what have you. And we, we sit here as 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 rugby, as rugby nuts and we've got a bit of skin in the game over over decades, and we're sitting there thinking, well. Are my eyes gone funny, or is that bloke a bit better than the England selectors seem to think? I think he is, yeah. I mean, the other bloke who we haven't mentioned, who, you know, I mean, who knows what happens in four years, but Don Brandt will be 30 mm. at the uh, at the at the next World Cup. He, you know, if he if he gets the bit between his teeth in terms of the real physicality required at uh, at, at at international level, you cannot discount him because he has mobility and he has great handling ability. Guys, we need to pencil someone in because I know time is getting away from us slightly. Um, Mercer at eight, Earl at seven. We've got a bit of a debate at six because I think, well, mine was Lewis Chesham. Two of you have said Chandler Cunningham South. Two of us have said Lewis Chesham. I think, but Brendan, you had Lewis Chesham at eight. I had Lewis Chesham at eight, but I could see him playing at six equally but, well. Yeah. Can I just say, Lewis Chesham has not had a Premiership season yet. You know, yeah, we're four I, years he, ahead. Nick. We're, we're trying to we're trying to look into the future. Yeah, well, listen, yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't pick him tomorrow. I, I liked I him, him in, in the under twenties very much indeed, but I am extremely reluctant. To- 
Yeah. <laughs> so I wouldn't parachute somebody from lock to number six. Yeah. When I <laughs> In, England have taken bigger gambles than that in World yeah. Cups. Sam Sorry, I, who said that? Who said that? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, so that Nick's anger doesn't combust through his computer, we'll put Cunningham South at six. I can, I can live with that as well. Yeah, I can, I can live with it too. Okay, right. Straight into the back line. Um, who hasn't taken the lead with a uni yet? Chewy, take the lead with uh, with nine and ten. Well, as long as he doesn't box kick like he did at the weekend, I, I, I think, I think Mitchell. I've long thought Mitchell's the best scrum half in the country. I think he proved that he's the best scrum half in the country at the World Cup, albeit a couple of rivals were injured. Um, I'm I'm just a bit I'm a bit reluctant to see England fart around for another two or three years trying to decide on who who your best nine is. I think Mitchell brings a lot. He's got a good pass. Um, he's he's got the he's got the um, the old. Um, Try scoring, sort of sniffer opportunism, opportunism about him. I think he's, you know, he's he's pretty much he's nailed on at club level. Um, he's increasingly influential. He's only going to be thirty um, come the next World Cup, uh, so he's my man. Who's your ten? Well, I don't think it, I honestly don't think it will be Owen Farrell. I mean, he's thirty-two now. I mean, and that's, that's not to say he's going to roll over and turn up his toes because he's not that sort. Um, but uh, I, I, I think England would be. I don't think it'd be the greatest look ever, really, for a thirty-six-year-old to be playing ten at a, at a World Cup, um, especially one who's not Daniel Carter in any way, shape, or form, really. Uh, so uh, I don't see at the moment. Any reason not to say to Marcus Smith, "Yeah, you're the man. You're the man. Make it happen for yourself. And if you don't make it happen for yourself over the next eighteen months or so, then we're going to have to look around. But I mean, he's he's the next cat on the rank, Marcus, isn't he? Yeah, it's. I've got reservations about Farrell, and I've not picked him at all. But I just think, if you obviously think of the last ten to play at a World Cup at that age, it's Johnny Sexton. And in terms of types of tens, obviously not necessarily having that explosive speed, but rather that abrasiveness and that game management, the shelf life for those types of tens is a lot longer. And so by that logic, I think I, not, I worry Farrell could make it because he's obviously a great man to have around the squad at the very least, but I do worry that they may stick with him for another four years, just as they'd be tempted to stick with Jamie George for the next two or three, or at least give Farrell the next two or three, making it a lot more difficult for Smith to come in. So, so much, so much hangs on World Cups now. I mean, everything yeah. is driven by the World Cup cycle, rightly yeah. or wrongly. That I, I don't, I don't see the point in sticking with guys who are going to be on their last legs in twenty twenty seven. I, I really don't see the point. I, I know that Clive Woodward win your next game and everything else takes care of itself. But um, and and to that, I can see the logic in that. But uh, but Farrell's thirty six now. Nah. Yeah. Nah. And the I, issue I, I have I, with Owen Farrell is you can isolate his games. And he rarely has, you know, like worse than a seven out of ten game. Often has an eight out of ten game individually. Goal kicking, um, you know, general work rate. But when you've got Ollie Lawrence and Henry Arundel outside you, and they're not getting the pill, that's not the way forward for England. They've got to have a ten who is a facilitator and not trying to do it purely their way. They've got to shed the ego. There's better players outside him now. Now, if he can't do that, he has to go. 
and you have to get Marcus Smith in and you make it the era of Smith um, and Alex Mitchell at nine and 10. And you give them a proper two seasons to really bed in because they could be pretty special together. Um, so, but will that happen with Steve Borthwick as coach and the close connection with Owen? I doubt it very much, actually. I think you're going to see Owen Farrell probably start the first match of the Six Nations as captain. So we've gone two, two for Mitchell, two for Smith. I haven't gone Mitchell, but I've gone Smith. I think that's our 10 pretty much penciled in. I don't think that there's any question at all that Farrell will be 10 and England captain at the start of, of the 2024 Six Nations. And, you know, if they, you know, if they do well, in the in the 2024 Six Nations, they'll be a very strong and Saracens go well this season. And, you know, there is a, um, you know, he, he, what's interesting about Owen Farrell is, is that when he's playing for Saracens, he does use those players outside. Well, the, he does. I agree. I used them on the Saturday real very problem, well. And I disagree with you about when you said he very rarely has less than a seven out of 10 game. The way that some people do their ratings, which frankly sometimes leaves me. <laughs> well, um, they start at five, don't they? Most of them they start at five. Well, they bloody well, yeah, they do. And but the the thing about it is, I don't I, I don't agree that over the last year or eighteen months, you know, you look at England in the Six Nations, you look at England in the Autumn Internationals. I don't think Farrell's been playing seven out of ten at all. I think he's been more 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 often. If you take his goal kicking out of the equation, he'd more often be a, a five out of ten. You might might push him up to a six sometimes, but he's been he, you know at, until the latter stages of the World Cup, he was not playing well at all. He played he played abysmally in the uh, in, yeah. in the warm ups. And there's perception, Nick. Do you remember that match they played two weeks ago? Abysmal at home to Leicester. He um he got absolutely twatted by the Leicester the young Leicester fly half. He went in with yeah. his normal high tackle, got yeah. pushed off. If that Still Marcus got. Smith had done that, the press would be on would him, be and you can't pick Marcus yeah. Smith because he can't tackle. And he got pushed off again on. He Saturday. actually got pushed off twice. You're right, yeah. he did. Yeah. You know, so he's not without weakness, Farrell at all. And it, but he gets glossed over a lot of the time because he's the captain and because he's Owen Farrell. Yeah, but also because, you know, overall, for Saracens, he's very, very consistently good. And if you take club form as being a main marker for, you know, for people moving into the international game and you have a bloke with the credentials at international level that Farrell's established over almost a decade, then you sort of say, well, you know, I mean, yeah, which is like you. I agree. He will be starting the transition. The, the the transition that Borthwick faces, because I agree with you. I don't think Farrell can do a Johnny Sexton. It's a different. It's a different setup. It's a different um, uh, organization in 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 many respects. But and and I'm not sure that you want a 36-year-old 10 pulling the strings, unless physically they're a freak and that they're as good at 36 as they were at 26. And that's a very, very rare, you know, and it, it certainly wasn't the case with Sexton. He had the brain, but not the body. Mm. Um, is, is, it, is it not fair to say, though, Nick? I, I mean, I, 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 I mean I'm, I'm a bit bigger Farrell supporter probably than... 
most other people on this um, on on this panel. Um, and I continue to think at the moment that if you're just picking the side for tomorrow, then there's aspects of his game you don't want to do without. I don't think he should be around in four years' time. Absolutely, but one of the one of the problems uh, a, t- a ten to a certain extent is only as good as the speed and quality of ball he gets. True, true, true. Now Saracens are terrific at this stuff. Yeah, and England haven't been, and England are terrible. At yes, this yeah, yeah. I agree. And they it's they practice it all. Point. All day, every day, seven days a week, and still their ball is posthumously slow. Yeah, it's a fair point. And you and you sort of think it can't be technique. It, it can't just be pure technique, unless they're thick, which they're not. It can't be pure technique because they're, they're, they're all being told exactly what the technique is to generate this stuff. And you've got all the analysis in the world. I think it's game intelligence. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of game intelligence in that Saracens pack. They're also very physical. Of course, and I mean they really, they really did give Harlequins. And they're not all English. <laughs> and they they generate ball that allows even a Farrell, and this is not necessarily his instinct, but even a Farrell to play on the front foot with his head up and people running off him, and that's fine. And if, until England replicate and sharpen up. Replicate what Saracens do or the other top sides do and sharpen up around the breakdown in terms of the production of quality possession at speed, every flyer is going to face the same problem. Yeah, I'd like to throw one other thing is what what one of the things that um that I didn't like about Ben Youngs, um, who had a lot of attributes, but one of them was that the speed of the ball that he gave out was nowhere near. When you look at any New Zealand scrum half, all the best scrum halves, the speed of delivery, not when they're lining up a caterpillar bloody thing for a box kick, but otherwise the speed of delivery is rapid. And with Mitchell at Northampton, one of the great things about Mitchell was that speed of delivery. What I've noticed since he he, he started playing for England is the speed of his delivery has got, you know, has probably halved. Same, yeah, same totally. thing happened to Kieran Bracken, you know. Yeah, well... Yeah. Kieran, Kieran, Kieran Bracken, I mean, it wasn't as quick as Nigel Melville's pass, but then no pass in history probably has been. But Bracken was in that Bristol side as a kid, as a university student, yeah. not least because his speed of pass was, by the standards of the time, lightning. Rapid, yeah. By the, <laughs> by the, by the end, he was yeah. still quicker than Dawson's. Well, it couldn't have been slower, really. He was still quicker than Dawson's, but not by much. Yeah. I don't know what England do to people, but yeah. Bracken, you know, but Bracken's lad who um, is under twenties has a rapid. Charlie Bracken, he's a yeah. good player. He's got yeah. a really quick pass. You know, yeah. so he's going to come know, up quite England, quickly. If we're talking about the first scrum half, we're talking about scrum halves. Rafi Quirk has got a rapid service, very good, and I still remember him when he came in. I think it was, you know. Uh, was it 2020, 2021, when he came into the side, I think that he, he has tremendous potential. And I think that he is a clear rival to to Mitchell. And uh, that's a rivalry I'd like to see develop. Yeah. yeah. I, I, Mitchell needs a rival. Mitchell needs yeah. a rival and a really good one because he's a type of player, as we've already alluded to, who can go into bad habits, I think, quite and Van And Van Portfleet... Who seems to have, you know, sort of fallen out of, uh, <coughs> of the the great, you know, bright young thing uh, category, but when he came into the side against Australia on that summer tour before the World Cup, he was 
very, very good. His service was quick, sharp, etc. So it's what happens to scrum halves in England that bothers me yeah. most. Um, and I, I sort of still think that nine, although Mitchell now has the you know the bedrock of experience in a World Cup, I think that it's still pretty wide open and and should be. Mm. Um, don't disagree with that. At, at ten, at yeah. ten, you've got to give Marcus Smith. You know, you've got to give him the ten shirt and time to bloody well develop there. At the moment, he's been in, out, and all about. You know. So we've got Smith at ten, and where I've got Quirk as well. So I'm with you, Nick, on that. Um, but I'm more than happy to leave that as a two-two divide for the nines because obviously. Quite often, nines end up being 50-30 anyway. Yeah. Um, let's say Alex Mitchell and Rafi Quirk as our two nines going forward for the time being. Um, again, just conscious of time, quite keen to move on. Kano, I'll let you take the lead with inside and outside centre, particularly interested by 12. Sam Burgess. <laughs> You're not alone. <laughs> You're not alone. Um, look, um, it's a uh, it's it's difficult territory, um, or as always, uh, I, I you know I've seen uh, Clive Woodward has decided that, uh, and I think Brendan has talked about it before, of Freddie Stewart going to going to twelve. If that's if that is on the boards at all, it has to happen wow. at club level now, not bloody next month or whatever else now and they've got to see whether it whether it works or not now my feeling is is that does this matter enough to you nick (laughs) (laughs) it it matters a great deal to it matters a great deal to england and england fans i'd I'd say but look there are two uh, kids coming through um, one who, you know, lost a benefit from the windfall from Worcester again um, is Seb Atkinson, who just for me is he, not playing in a great in a great side at the moment, but he makes a difference. He's very, very tenacious. He punches, uh, you know, above his size. Now, the other guy who I saw Saracens brought onto the wing um, this last weekend is a fellow called Ollie Hartley who is a big unit. He's still probably a bit light um, by sort of Damien Dialende standards and so on, but he's 6'4". I think he's 14 and a half stone at the moment. And he shows he's got he's got the right instincts, I think. So there are two potential bolters at, at 12. Um, otherwise, Lawrence goes to 12 and... You there? I I don't think that there's any shortage of uh, of thirteens out there. You know, Marchant will be I think thirty one by the time of the next World World Cup, so he'll he should still be in the frame. Um, and you know, there, there are guys that you sort of see who 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 are around, like you know, what's happened? Tommy Freeman is a, a he's a he's a great athlete. You know, fullback. he's really, really good yeah, player. He comes into my team, possibly, at fullback. Although yeah, he doesn't well, quite get he, him, but he's very he possibly comes into my team at outside centre. You know, so I, I sort of think, um, because he's got all the attributes. He's got size, he's got speed. 
and he's 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 got an eye for the gap. So, look. I think that England have got, um, you know, obviously Henry Slade's going to be around for a while. I'm not sure that he, he I think, he, what he, what would he be at the next World Cup? 33? 34, I think. He's 34. 30 now, I think. So he, he, he probably at a, at, a, at a push, not there. But I, I, I do believe that England have got options at centre. They just have to, again, finding the right combinations is the key. Back row, mid, you know, centre, those that that's the key. That's well, the key. I'm like a broken record here. If you're having Marcus Smith at ten, which I am, I want um Freddie Stewart at twelve. And it's gotta happen now. You know, it, it's a switch that others have made, Geordie Barrett notably. Yeah. That's the modern way. Smith is a better player with that big physical twelve, but he's not just a big unit, he's got some skill. But Ollie Lawrence has to be at thirteen. He's not a twelve, he's never been a twelve, he's not Talangi at all. He's a thirteen. He's got gas, he's got step, he's got handoff, he can do stuff. And it's been a revelation again to see him play in the last two or three weeks once he's out of that England environment. So he's he's a match winner, Ollie Lawrence. He has to be at 13. And if that means Joe Marchand doesn't get picked or has to go somewhere else, so be it. Ollie Lawrence is a better 13 than Joe Marchand. Yeah. But I can really Joe agree. Marchand doesn't go to 12, does he? No. So Joe Mar he'll have to take his chance out on the wing, which he, he has often played before. But, you know, if you're going for combinations, Smith, Stewart, Lawrence, that is a midfield that will give plenty of people a bit of a headache. Yeah, it's, a nice, it's got a nice balance to it. I'd agree. But I, I, complete, I completely agree with Lawrence at 13. Um, yeah. You know, he, he, he threatens he threatens their one eight, doesn't he? Because yeah. he's, he's powerful. He's pretty quick for a bloke of his size. I, I, I like the idea of the sort of the, 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 the centre beast. I mean, I... As you know, um, I mean, I'm, I'm secretary, president and chairman of the Manu Tuolangi fan club. Um, I never had a problem or didn't have much of a problem with Tuolangi at 13. I like the, I like the idea of those kinds of players. And it was what the All Blacks, before Nonu, it was what the All Blacks always did. They played the second 5-8 and the nasty git at 13. Running in the soft underbelly. Now the defensive structures have changed and all that kind of thing down the years. But I feel still think it holds. I'm I'm quite interested in the steward idea. I um I you need to see it happen. Yeah. Um uh because that 12 position is is pretty tough in decision making. I think the one bloke who's caught my eye, I don't say this because I was born in the city, um, but I like the way Bath are playing at the moment, and they play with Lawrence at 13. And the bloke who's got a bit of difference about him is Steve Ajomo's son, who does some very different things. Now he might be too he might be too different for anyone's liking at um, at international level, but he is he's got real game intelligence. I haven't seen much of a kicking game from him, but there again, Will Greenwood didn't have one either, and he wasn't he wasn't the worst inside centre. He does, he does have a it, former guest on the podcast, by the way, Max. Um, really, a really nice guy. He does have a kicking game. Oh well, in 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 that in that case, absolutely brilliant. But I I do think as a distributor, and an and a sort of second organizer, and someone who just pops up in slightly unorthodox positions and does slightly unorthodox things, I'll be interested to see how he develops. I don't expect to see him in the England side next week. However, I think that if he gets a real run at twelve, 
and he really settles into that you know, into 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 an improving Bath side with Russell on one side of him, Lawrence on the other. I think he may well emerge as a contender over the next um, you know within the next four years. So hey. No, that, that he's he's my left field, my left field um, um, contribution to the inside centre debate. Is Will Joseph another um, contender, or is he more of an outside centre again? He looks more of an outside centre to me. I, I, I mean, it's, I, 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 I think, I think, I think the twelve position. I mean, I mean, top level coaches are divided on this. There's a lot of top level coaches on there who just want a basher. They want a basher. They want somebody who'll get you over the game line and you play from there. I think that the whole Geordie Barrett thing has sort of put a bit of a bonfire under that idea. Um, but you do, of course, you need people who are strong enough to get you through the crunch. I mean, that's 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 then a you're given. Not going to do something yeah. with it. That, that's yeah. when you have the really good but, twelve. Yeah, but and you want you want someone again, like the seven and eight positions. It's range. You want yeah. players with range. And if they do get through, the basher's then got to run 40 yards. Well, indeed. You know, indeed. You, can't, it's, you can't just be a basher anymore. No. Well, D- D- a, 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 I think, is a classic. He's not just a basher. Yeah. He can play. No, he's a terrific player. Andre Esterhazen, all-round yeah. player. He's That's actually got really. a kicking game, Andre Esterhazen. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I mean, he's yeah. a terrific offloader, that guy, isn't he? I mean, yeah. in, in, in fairness to him. Uh, it's the, the, the possibilities of the attacking game, and England have not been good in this department, but the possi- the possibilities of the attacking game are far, far greater than England would currently have you believe. Absolutely. And the reason and, why I'm happy... And a lot of that Freddie is about Stewart. the 12. The reason I'm happy for, to try Freddie Stewart there is I think Josh Hodge could be a brilliant international Test 15. He's got it all. And as ever, he's currently injured, having blazed a trial in the first two or three matches of the season. But he's yeah. got long-range gash. Gas is good under the high ball. He he, he links, yeah. and he'll be absolutely. Well, he'd be truly exciting to see at fifteen. You know who really. he reminds me of a bit, Brian. He reminds me a bit of Ian Balshaw. Yes, absolutely, and comes from the same. No, he's Sedbur, isn't he, Josh? Where did Balsh go? He's either Sedbur or Ampleforth. But anyway, yes, there, there's exactly. a point. There's a point to be made about that. After all, he interjects. Well, I was just about to interject and say I think we've got our midfield settled then, which is actually quite surprising. So we've got Stewart at twelve, provided yes, we it, get in at last. <laughs> it, it starts tomorrow, <laughs> and Lawrence oh. thirteen. And like, like, like you guys said, I echo that. I think a Smith Stewart Lawrence midfield has a really, really exciting balance to it. Um, if I'll eat my arm if it happens, but you know, we we can only hope. Josh the guy that they could, I, I'd just like to add in that the guy that they could, in terms of size, the guy who is closest to Stewart is Freeman. In terms of in terms of physique, and I'm not sure that it's his inclination, but it's I'm not sure that it's Stewart's inclination either. So you know, it's 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 just an, a, a name to put into the into the hat as yeah. well. Yeah, I had Freeman down, but I had him down more as a thirteen. Um, because I think obviously we've seen George, uh, George North esque 13, for example, that transition from Wings. Ren and me have got him at 15, I think. Well, I've got him as Hodge's backup, but Ooh. pushing him hard at 15, yeah. Okay. okay. So, well, so Josh Hodge at 15. Anyone else got Josh Hodge at, Hodge, Josh Hodge at 15? I have, I have Freeman. Freeman. Nick? Well, I had Stewart at 15. <laughs> Who's your backup? 
Um, uh, Hodge, de yeah, definitely is one. Max Malins is another. And, you know, we'll talk about him. I sort of, look, look I've already said on a previous podcast, and Bristol are not doing it, I don't think. I would like to see him at 10. Yeah, yeah. I thought you might say that. Okay, well, we've got two for Josh Hodge then. I've actually got Henry Arundel at 15. Um, but again, that's on the base that we actually see him tried in an England show at 15. I suspect you three have all got Arundel on the wing. I do. Uh, like yeah, you, I think I mean, he is I mean, a 15, but yes. He, he, there, there, he, there's a point to be made. I mean, somebody raised Ian Barshall, the question of Ian Barshall. And, and look, I, I mean, Jerry Guscott would, would tell us if 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 he was here that Balshaw had the, the step from the gods. As did Jason Robinson, of course. They weren't 15s, not really. I didn't think. I, I mean, I mean, Jason Robinson certainly wasn't a 15. To, he's a world-class wing, one of the best left wings I've ever seen in my life. But he weren't a 15. I think that the interesting one about this was on the 2001 Lions tour, Balshaw went his hot favourite, hot favourite for the Lions test spot. Matt Perry had it off him. Yeah, but that that was about that was about what Henry wanted. Oh, yeah, but 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 in the end, Matt Perry, apart from Balshaw's gas, was better than him at every single aspect of the game: kicking, tackling, positional sense, passing, everything. Well, look, I, I'm Hodge I'm, is not just Bullshaw's gas, so he's, he's no, no, no. Well. I, 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 I take, I, I take that Bullshaw's reading of of the attacking game was at times brilliant. the The thing about it is, is that Perry is one of the bravest fullbacks that I've ever ever seen, mm -hmm. and he was also, in terms of the high ball, he was he was superb. And you know, yeah. last. You know, last man cover tackling, et cetera, et cetera. He had real attributes and his kicking game was very good. I agree with that. And Jonah Lomu never ran through him. But, but, Bullshaw gave England a different dimension. The reason he didn't give the Lions a different dimension is because Henry wanted him to play a totally different game. Well, he wanted him to be did. a banger I mean, up the middle, basically. But, but Balshaw thrived in 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 the in the in the Brian Ashton sort of all singing, all dancing 2000, 2001 period of England's attacking play. When you had your Heelys and your Cats and Greenwoods, and I mean you <laughs> you had to, you had some players who could who could play some attacking rugby there, hmm. without a doubt. It's um, but I I'm, I'm but anyway we're talking I about like the solidity. I do like the solidity of a steward or a freeman at fullback because there's gonna there's gonna there's gonna be a lot of the game, especially when everything goes tight at the back end of tournaments. There's a lot of the there's a lot of the game which doesn't have much to do with your pace. But look, Freeman is being played as a Ute. He's playing all over the bloody shop. Mm. He hardly plays at bloody fullback for no, that. no. You know, no, so no, no. this is the problem that England have got all the time. You know, Borthwick, we hear, is going to sort it out with the clubs and get players playing in the positions that he wants them to and so on and so forth. It's got to be joined up. It's got to be bloody coordinated. It's yeah. no good putting square pegs into round holes on, on no. international pitches, you know. And, and if he can do that, it will be a major step forward, a massive step forward. If he, if he can genuinely pull that off. Then that will be yeah. that will be a thing. Well, yeah. look, in in line with that, I think having picked Freddie Stewart at twelve, we probably shouldn't pick then Tommy Freeman at fifteen. 
just in terms of a like Nick says, too many square pegs in round holes. Hodge at fifteen, Arundel on one wing. I'm guessing is almost universal then, because if he's not yeah. like fifteen, he's 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 on one of my wings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I've yeah. got I've got Caden Murley on the other one. Um, who 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 has everyone else got? Oh, this one is really open for debate, isn't it? I mean, yeah, it I, I remain convinced Tom Roebuck. Tom Roebuck. And, and the other bloke, Aaron Reed, is another one there up at the sale. Yeah. I yeah. remain convinced that Louis um, Louis Liner is a player. Yeah, yeah, he's a hell yeah. of a player. Not getting much it's appeal at the moment. Been out with injury for a year, but he could do. I think he'd thrive at a higher level. Uh, we've never really given Radwan a chance. No. Nope. And I'll chuck one other nut. This is left field. I saw him get two of the best tries of the season for Wasps a couple of years ago, and that's Ali Crossdale. Yeah. Now, he went off the radar with the Wasps thing. He's washed up in Perpignan, starting for their top 14 team this year. I watched him a bit the other day. Very, very good. He's got gas. He can play fullback. He's a footballer. And he's one of those blokes who might really come through under the radar in France over the next couple of years. So you've got four or five contenders. That I means think. he won't come under England's radar. Well, <laughs> like Chris, I'm convinced there will be a sea change there. The gig economy will take over and England will have okay. to wise up. I, I, so, I, I do like the idea of Lyon. Um, I, I must admit. I mean, he, he probably isn't the quickest ever. Uh, he's however, quick enough, though, isn't he? Uh, however... They wouldn't be picking him on a wing if Quinn's of all teams if he didn't have a wing speed. He's got plenty of experience at fullback. He does have a kicking game, but so much of what happens in the back three. And I look back to the days of of Ugo Monia at fullback, Chris Ashton on one wing, and Mark Cueto on the other. And the question is, who's going to be making the calls, chaps? Well, that'll be you, Mark. Um, it's it, you. You need footballing nice in the back three. Yeah, you know, positionally and combination work and liner, whether it's just in the genes. <laughs> I mean, you know, if if anything's in the genes, then he's got good genes. Um, just I, I just he looks like a proper player to me. I'm struggling really to think of him ever making player. a mistake, Chris. Can you remember no. Liner making a bad no. mistake ever? No, he's just no. solid. No. And then when he's fully fit and in a team in form, he's a try scorer. He knows where yeah. the line is. You oh, see, no, I think good. that he, you know, I mean, I, and and I remember when Michael Liner was on the podcast, I I I sort of came up with it, and and more to ask him if he's ever ever played there, if he'd ever looked at it. But for me, he's the sort of ideal blend of somebody who is physical, but also a very good ball player who could play at twelve. Oh, quite possibly. Yeah. That's that's not that's not the worst call ever. But he's never played there. No, no. no he's, so he's I, he, my my wings are Arundel and Liner. That's what I've got written down. So. Well, that's interesting. That, they're my first two. I'd forgotten, and this is, doesn't reflect well on me. I've forgotten about Caden Murley. I mean, you're off injured, and people you just get forgotten, don't you? He was a hell of a good try scorer last season. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm. I think was was it the injury that stopped him going to the World Cup, or did he get cut? I think he got cut. He got cut. Yeah, I think he was unlucky. I think he was yes. unlucky. Yeah. But Quinns have really missed him so far this year. I think. Yes. That, that yes. And very good in defence. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Max Maiden's found that. As oh, no. Max Maiden's will confirm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So we're sort of between Liner and Murley. Let's just let's have a straight out shootout for that one. I'm voting Murley. Kane, who are you voting? Roebuck. No. 
off. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, of, of the two, I, I'd vote for Liner, I think. Okay. Chua, you're going Liner. Yeah. yeah. And Brennan, you're also going I'll Liner. I'll go Liner, yeah. Okay, cool. All right, Lewis Liner it is. So, without further ado, Steve Borthwick is the head coach of our Rugby World Cup 15 to win the World Cup in 2027. We've got Ellis Gendrick prop, Theo Dan at hooker, Afalabi Fasogbong at tight head prop, Maritoje, who, unless anyone says otherwise, I haven't heard any other captain suggestions, we'll have his captain. Yeah. Ollie Chesham, they make up the second row. Chandler Cunningham South at six, Bernard at seven, Zach Mercer at eight. One of Alex Mitchell, Rafi Quirk at nine, the other one comes off the bench. Marcus Smith at 10, Henry Arundel at 11, Freddie Stewart 12, Ollie Lawrence 13, Lewis Liner on the other wing, and Josh Hodge at fullback. I kind of like the sound of that. It's a pretty exciting team, to be fair. Who the hell picked that? <laughs> it will never see the light of day. That it will team never, never, will never take the bill. Yes, yes, this power without responsibility because there's no way we can ever be held to account on this. Well, no, if, if podcasts are still a thing in four years and AI hasn't overtaken all of them, we'll be able to look back and see. I reckon we've probably got four or five names there that would make an England team in 2027. And even then, I don't think four or five is a bad effort. Um, but that was actually not as not as difficult to pick as I thought it would be. We were quite harmonious on some things, which was which was refreshing, actually. Um, okay, there's our fifteen. I think, yeah, I'm I'm quite happy. it to Steve Borthwick. I'm, I'm see what he and admiring. Say say again, sorry, Brendan. Email it to Steve Borthwick and see if he for comment. Yeah, what's he going to say? Well, he's going to say <laughs> no, Zach Mercer for starters. Get him on the podcast. He could tell us all about it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he, he likes doing stuff like this. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he's a natural in the public-facing role. <laughs> Be brilliant. I'll tell you what. Get him on as a double act with Mark McCall. <laughs> just, si- just silence for two it, hours. It, it would be like the Wise and Wise show. <laughs> yeah, there wouldn't be much to listen to in that podcast. Probably just Chris saying Sam Burgess every two seconds. It's pretty much what you listen to anyway with us. Um, there's our 15. Yeah, I'm. I'm going to admire that for quite some time. Actually, I, I'm, I'm. I look at that and I'd be genuinely very excited to watch, especially that back line. That back division could cause some damage if they. That back line would be quite scary. Well, not quite scary necessarily, but quite formidable to line up opposite. Yeah, if they get some half decent ball. Yeah, well, exactly. Um, okay, let's draw a line under that. I think that was pretty damn successful, or, or certainly as successful as one could have hoped. Um, just very, very quickly, I know we've, we've sort of overrun slightly. Just a, a little five minutes on today, November the 22nd, marking the 20th anniversary of England winning the World Cup in 2003. Um, I'll give the floor to you guys on this. I was four years old. I was watching at home, but all three of you were there. I'm right in saying. Um, yeah, we were. Uh, just reminisce a little bit. Obviously, it's something that we all know. <laughs> you were watching well. at home at four. You were watching Paw Patrol. <laughs> I know we had a big party at my house, so I'm told anyway. So I was sat, I was sat in the in the living room with my dad watching. Not yeah, you were still told to Neddy Jones. <laughs> order, order, camp will be after you. I probably made more sense as well at the age of four. I mean, the, the memories from that night. I mean, I don't know, just a couple of things come to mind for me. Eighty-three thousand crowd. I reckon at least fifty thousand were English in in white shirts. I've never seen before or since, I sort of see a white like that before. And I travelled up, remember at one stage, you could travel up to the stadium on those boats from uh, Darling Harbour or something. I went up on an England 
supporters boat. And it was a really great occasion, great event. Um, but to see that amount of you know, really committed England fans, not the corporates, we're not talking the corporate Twickenham crowd. This was like like a football crowd, but a, a you know good natured football crowd. That was extraordinary. The other thing I just, remember just to from interrupt it, you, Brendan, on that note, it's quite funny that you mentioned that the weekend after the Cricket World Cup final between Australia and India, where it was one hundred thirty thousand people, and I reckon about three Aussies or something like that. Yeah, it was a sea of blue shirts, wasn't it? Exactly. The Indian, and even bigger, yeah. thing, obviously. Well, I've never seen a, a more silent stadium of so many people at any point, let alone... Absolutely astonishing, yeah. And yeah. So that was one of the great things about that World Cup final. You know, the great rivalry anyway, England-Australia, but I have so many English down there. And of course, so many English still living in Australia, expat. That was amazing. The other thing I just remember is Johnny gets all the kudos for the drop goal, and, and actually in many ways, rightly so. You had to land it. But I'd forgotten until I re-watched it a while back. He missed a couple of drop goals by a long margin in that match. He, that was like he's, he had two or three sighters before he finally landed that one. Um, so, you know, but also, you know, the perseverance to keep, that's what needed doing, and he did it. You know, he kept, he, he didn't sort of bottle out because he'd missed two or three other kicks. I'm right in um, saying that the two or three he missed were with his left leg, the left foot as well, right? trying to remember which one. I mean, it was, I think it was one of you both. missed actually. one with each. Yeah. Fine, okay. And it never gets mentioned in dispatches, the ones he had a pot at and was well wide or well short. But, you know, he had the ticker. When it had to be done, he had another go, and he and he got it over. Anyone else got anything to add to that? Yeah, that? absolutely. Well, I've got something to say about, about it. You know, I mean, look, I think that the thing that didn't necessarily come across if you were in the UK rather than in Australia was the relentless attempt to psychologically put England <laughs> off the pitch. Because it it started as soon as they gave, but it started probably before they got there. But it ramped up steadily as the tournament went on. You know, Dad's army is that all you've got? You know, after they they scored only one try against South Africa, still beat them by twenty points. Um, you know, it was relentless. And the bloke who was until recently uh, coaching England was the certainly one of the architects of it behind the scenes in terms of the relentless Australian press barrage. I can remember Johnny Wilkinson being asked in a, in a press conference whether he was a basket case because of his, you know, sort of obsessive um, mindset and so on it was a real attempt in every sense to derail England from the get-go and in the final I don't care what anybody else says the refereeing was definitely I'm not going to say that it was cheating or anything else of the sort but it was partial in a way that was to me unacceptable England had a, a a very very good pack who were miles better than their australian opponents not in the back not in the back five necessarily but in the front row particularly and they were not allowed by the referee to make their advantage count he did exactly the opposite he he penalized them for being too too strong and I, I I resented it massively at the time. It very nearly, um, you know, swung the game to Australia. And 
you know, combined with one of the, you know, one of the the, the things about the final, and 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 this is why I I put it up there among the best World Cup games, if not the the best World Cup game as an Englishman that I've seen, is that with Elton Flatley kicking everything that you, you know that that was offered to him, mm. that game was on a knife edge. It went mm. to extra time, and uh, the manner of the winning of it with Wilkinson's drop goal. After that, you know, build up. I mean, the line out throw that Moody. Balling. I mean, Thompson <laughs> hit him in his belly. belly How England you know won that mean? line out, I'll never know. But at least it was straight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, they then went on and did their teacup, you, you know, bit and, and, and so on exactly. and so forth. And it was a brilliant, um, you know, climax to, to you, you know, to a final that England could easily not have you know have really struggled and lost but they had the character to get the right result and the right team absolutely won the final and that, that was one that, that, that was what it was it was a triumph of character actually because yeah. um you you're quite right to to um in your description of everything that had gone before and the sort of the adversity under which they played and the biggest adversity was that they knew they weren't playing terribly well and they hadn't played terribly well for a hell of a lot of that world cup. Yes. They, they, they played a, a pretty decent wet weather game against France in the semi-final, but my goodness, this performance against Samoa was tragic. Yeah. Uh, the performance against Wales, they were lucky to get out of that actually. And the Australian side wasn't a very good Wallaby side. It was better. I think, than, I it, think it, it was better than it, we give it credit for. It, it was better than the, better than the one we've just seen, but they had they, street. they had a back they had a back three full of rugby league players, of whom Matt Rogers had a very poor game. Takiri was a good player. Wendell Saylor wasn't up to that much, uh, up to much particularly. Elton Flatley had a brilliant, brilliant day with his goal kick. It's one of the bravest goal kicking performances I've ever seen, actually, because he kept on staring himself at himself in the big screen when he was kicking, he was kicking goals to, to save the Wallabies' backsides at the back end of the game. And all he could see was the fear in his own eyes. I mean, it was a really tough old thing. I mean, one of the things that went really, that, one of the important things for England, and it's not really talked about ever now, was that if the Wallabies had the wood on England in any sense, it was probably at halfback where Gregan and Larkham, World Cup winners both, were were playing pretty well. And they played fantastically well to beat the All Blacks in the semi-final. Absolutely brilliant, particularly Larkham. Was sensational. And and in that get in the final, Larkham held on to Ben Cohen's leg for a bit too long after the ball had gone. And Cohen sort of kicked back at him. I don't think it was deliberate, but he caught him in the eye. And Larkham had to keep going on and off in that final he to did, be patched right, up. Yeah. And they kept on checking Matt Gitto, who had like one cap to his name or something, on to pay just sort of quite important chunks of that game. If Larkham had stayed on through, you know, all the way through, who knows what would have happened. It was a tighter game than it should have been given the comparative strength of the two sides. But I agree with Nick, it was an absolute spine tinker of a of a match, partly helped by Andre Watson's desperate refereeing. And it was a really poor performance. Do you remember at one stage, um, Johnny went down really badly and he was on the floor for about two minutes. I think Gitto had hit him with a, a, a stinger and it looked like he was coming off. 
And at that point, the 55,000 English supporters, and we don't, none of us really particularly like swing low, do we? But they, the timing was perfect. They just started up with this swing low sweet chariots and it got louder and louder and louder and just as it got the crescendo johnny rose like lazarus and <laughs> took his place back to kick the drop goal a few minutes well like 10 minutes later but it was a very a great moment of theater that one yeah i mean look, look that wallaby that wallaby pack nick's quite right i mean they, they were badly out scrummaged i mean you look back at the wallaby pack i mean there aren't there aren't many lifelong legends in that pack you know bill young brendan cannon Algernon Baxter, Justin Harrison started the final. Um, they, they had two. They had two open sides. They had War and Smith. David Lyons was number eight. I'm not saying these are poor. I mean, War, War and Smith were very high class players. Nathan Sharp, I think, may have started the final as well. Nathan Sharp, um, um, a young gish Nathan Sharp, but Clikey, the 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 England pack was miles better than that Wallaby pack, particularly at set piece. You're quite right. And and Andre Watson certainly levelled it out in ways that were not very satisfying. Guys, I think... But it, it was a hell of a night down there. <laughs> it was a hell of a night. Finished at 7am. Yeah. Star City Restaurant at the top 22nd floor. Full English and champagne with Jill Douglas and a few of the BBC types. Um, I would add, we didn't finish work until about 4 o'clock. Well, that's morning. good use of the licence payers fee. We we didn't get back until about four o'clock from the ground. The ground was in well, we worked really late anyway, didn't we? It was a late kickoff and you didn't get home back bush. until four o'clock. The Star ground City. was in Homebush, about thirty miles out of Sydney. I, it was a bizarre place to get to later. Yeah. And it was lashing with rain by the yeah. by the time we started coming home. Cold, yeah. miserable, but good. I think I was still working while you were having breakfast, Brent. <laughs> <laughs> and I went to bed about eight and got a phone call about 10 from the night desk on the Sunday or whatever, giving their orders for the Monday. So I'd had two hours kit and then about a list of four things I had to get on with. Yeah. Gonzo journalism. No oh, interest yeah, yeah, in the public. The, the, yeah. the inability, the inability <laughs> of Fleet Street sports desk to recognise the existence of a time difference never failed to. Oh, every time. Absolutely extraordinary. It's not that difficult a concept, is it? No. Anyway, he's got to do his thesis. Yeah. Well, I, d I don't actually know. But if you're listening, I suppose the best way to commemorate the 20-year anniversary is to at least watch the highlights or something on YouTube. Um, but certainly worth reliving whenever possible, especially if you're an Englishman. One thing, just while we were, uh, or you guys were talking there, um, I was looking at the team we picked and fullback, and I realised that in my list... Just under Henry Arundel, I had Joe Carpenter as a backup. And I think it was criminal that he didn't even get a mention. So I want to say I've got his name written down here, but uh, yeah, we failed. Some very reason, good, we didn't, we didn't mention that. I think he's absolutely a candidate along with We'll keep Hodge in there, but that was an oversight, I think, from certainly you and me, Brendan, Chris and yeah. Nick remain un unmoved. So maybe he wasn't so much in your guys' reckoning, but I think. Joe Carpenter, apologies to all Sale fans and all Carpenter fans. He is a former guest on the podcast. He is very, very much up there. If Aaron is in my 15, I'm sure he's up there for Brendan as he's well. A so. He's a promising young player, but again, one season of Premiership rugby so far. Yeah, no, um, of course, but four but, years. Um, look, I mean, one thing that I would I would say is is that I know that the there are this week. I think that there are two celebrations for the uh, 2003 side. Um, one in London, one at Penny Hill. And um, 
So, you know, we should congratulate those guys yet again. You know, 20 years after, they remain the only England team to have won the World Cup. Um, and I'm sure that they're as keen as we are that actually another England team does win the World Cup and soon. Yeah. 100%. Well, England are going to win the World Cup now as long as they pick the 15 we've just picked. So. <laughs> Cheers, guys. After a dramatic Rugby World Cup, all eyes are now on the Guinness Six Nations. Make it a special day with friends, family, teammates, colleagues or clients by booking an exceptional official hospitality experience with our friends at Keith Prowse, principal sales partner to England Rugby Hospitality. Their match day experience in the gate really has to be seen to be believed. So book your experience now and make memories that will last a lifetime. Visit keithprowse.co.uk forward slash the rugby paper now. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Rugby Paper Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe on whichever podcast platform you use and recommend the show to your friends. The Rugby Paper is available to buy every Sunday. And to make sure you don't miss it, subscribe through our print, digital and online options at therugbypaper.co.uk forward slash subscriptions. That's therugbypaper.co.uk forward slash subscriptions to get all our content for as little as 14p per day.